from the Leafy Studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another well-mulched episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. Now, if whole leaves deter weeds worry-worry well, why not just let them lie or lay or whatever it is? Anyway, I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll review the rules of fall leaves and issue a warning about using bales of, quote, straw to mulch your garden beds. Plus, a brand new version of the Spotted Lanternfly song and your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and Kellogg's the best to you each morning. So keep your cornflakes crisp, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you bailing hay instead of picking tomatoes right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at the Lehigh Valley Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, what about using whole leaves to smother winter weeds? And what's the problem when a bale of straw grows massive numbers of weeds? We will answer those burning questions later on. But first, we got to give away a book. And again, these postcards are just so wonderful. This is a postcard from Dennis Everett in Lewisburg, Kansas. He writes, Mike, I found this card at my grandmother's estate sale. I think it's from the 1950s. And it is a beautiful postcard of the Sunken Gardens in St. Petersburg, Florida. And the two images are a pineapple and a bird of paradise, which are two things you can grow if you're below the frost line in Florida. Um, Dennis also has a question. Do black walnut leaves make good compost? No, they do not, Dennis, because black walnuts, every part of the tree, leaves, especially the roots, the lumber, contains a substance called juglone that can inhibit the growth of many plants and just outright kill some of them. And the most sensitive of those plants is tomatoes. So don't worry if you've got like one black walnut tree out of 30 that you're collecting leaves from. But if you have a black walnut grove, just let those leaves lay on the soil where perhaps they'll kill some weeds. Anyway, Dennis is getting a beautiful book called Farming to Create Heaven on Earth. It's a book about the Shumei style of natural agriculture, um, Japanese, uh, Japanese sustainable farming. And he's in Kansas, so you can always use another book on farming. Right, cats and kittens? All right. We will continue to give away books, but please don't send any more postcards. I got rid of a lot of books in my office. Now the, now the office is filled with postcards, okay? So we'll keep, I think I'm going to start giving postcards away pretty soon. All uh, right. 
on. Oh, I want to mention one other thing. If you watch the show only on TV, you should listen to the radio and or podcast version because some weeks they are completely different except for the question of the week. Same thing. If you're listening to the podcast or uh, the radio either on 91.3 in the Lehigh Valley or one of our affiliate stations, you should go online to You Bet Your Garden and check out the TV show version, which is not only often different, but is, I believe personally, hilarious. Okay? And now, on with the show. For you to call 833-727-9588. Jan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I am just ducky, Jan. How are you? I am fine. It's raining, maybe going to try and snow here in Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Do you guys, you know, I've only visited you uh, during the windy season, which I was told was March through December. That's about right. That's that's, That's for sure. Today, it's not so windy out there, and it'll depend on... Uh, temperature, of course, if we're yeah. going to get snow in Oklahoma City. Uh, it's a snowing up in the panhandle, but not so much in Oklahoma City yet. I wouldn't imagine you get a lot, do you? No, no. And again, there have been record uh, blizzards of sorts uh, in the past, but not so much uh, these days. Yeah, exactly. Boy, is it hot in here or is it the planet? All right, Jan, what can we do you for? Oh, Mike, I really uh, enjoy raising uh, hydrangeas. Unfortunately, I have a very small garden area uh, in my home, so I thought uh, maybe I should try uh, keeping them in pots and wintering them uh, through our our winters, which sometimes can be on the mild side. We Mm -hmm. may drop occasionally uh, below freezing, but it doesn't last for long periods of of time. So what's your advice? And, and I, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe, maybe the future is going to be more using pots, uh, because we, we are all moving maybe to smaller properties now. So are there any overall guidelines for putting perennial or, or, or vegetables in, in pots that we can, we can sort of follow that along? Yeah, I thought you when you said the future, I thought you were going to say when the heat reaches Arizona levels there in <laughs> Oklahoma City. Um, you're absolutely correct. Since I was the editor of Organic Gardening in the early 90s, the research clearly showed that people were gardening in smaller, smaller spaces, but wanted to grow more plants. And yes, containers are a good way to do that. What gets dicey is leaving the containers out over the winter with plants right. in them. Unless the plant is especially hardy, for instance, I can't do that. You're on the dividing line. You can roll the dice and do that. But tell me a little bit about your containers. Uh, How big are they and what are they made of? Well, they're they're generally made of of, um, just pottery or or the orange-colored clay or whatever it's called. Terracotta. Yeah, terracotta. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to... 
in invest in in something better that you thought was better mm-hmm. um, you know I'm just looking for some guidelines in order to to do this let me stop okay. you right there um, so you've not done this over the winter before no I haven't okay. I, I have I've left one in a pot if you get an extended cold spell and there was a lot of moisture beforehand, that pot is going to break. It's going to split open right. when, when it freezes. So right. terracotta is natural. It looks beautiful. But in the summertime, they wick their moisture into the air. And in the wintertime, they can't be left outside with soil in them in okay. any region that drops below freezing for more than a okay. couple of days. So although people don't want to hear it, plastic pots are better than that. Although, again, if there's a lot of water pressure and freezing cold, they'll split open too. The basic rule with plants in pots over the winter is the bigger the pot, the better the chances of success, and the hardier the plant, the bigger chance of success. Okay. Now, I have had a spruce that I bought at Christmas time a couple of years ago that has been outside through some very cold days and nights in winter times. And, but because it's basically an alpine plant that's probably rated down to zone three, it's going to do just fine, even in a container. And then I have other containers that are these big half whiskey barrels. You can get away with murder in those because of the size of the container. It almost takes on the insulating properties of the plant's roots being underground. For instance, spring bulbs will do well in a half whiskey container because they're pretty winter hardy and the container is so big. One of the tricks when you work with these large scale containers, if you're doing I would call hydrangeas a kind of half-hardy plant in a container. Um, You would keep it close to the center of the container. If you're doing spring bulbs and stuff, don't use them on the outskirts. Leave that area open. Try to get close to the center as possible. And again, with spring bulbs, you can go really deep. And if it's a half whiskey barrel and there's a hydrangea in there, right in the center, there's a lot of soil around the roots. I would take that chance, but not in a small pot and certainly not in terracotta. Now, do you have a garage or a basement or anything? Yes, I have a garage, but the garage has no windows uh, or there's no glass in, in, in the overhead door nor the, nor the, the uh, exterior door. So, is I mean, it, it's just... Is it heated? No. Okay, that's no. perfect. Um, hydrangeas are completely dormant now. Um, hydrange, you know, there's two kinds of hydrangeas, you know, ones that bloom on old wood, ones that bloom right. on new wood. But in reality, there's a hundred different types of hydrangeas and they bloom whenever the heck they want to. So where I you, I would bring these pots into my unheated garage. Don't worry about the lack of light because they're not really using it now. They're completely dormant. Put them in the coldest pot of uh, Part of the garage, part of the garage. I'm a trained professional, kids. Don't try this at home. (laughs) Put them in the coldest part of the garage, closer to the door than to the house. And then just take them out when the weather starts to get even vaguely nice in the summertime. And I think you'll do great. I think think I will too, Mike. That's just been a great... Great, great suggestion, and I don't know why I didn't think of that myself. That's why I. I other... That's why I get the big money, Jan. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, Mike. Oh, One yeah. other question. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use compost. Uh, that's what I always do. Unfortunately, I don't have any means for producing my, my own compost. That's so I fine. I go down to my local, uh, local uh, privately owned nursery. But Excellent. Can't, so what's the rule about changing out the, 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 the soils in pots? I've, I've never really understood the rules regarding that. That what you what the rules are to to maintain the health of the plant. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. I just did this. I had a whole bunch of plants in pots, some of which I brought indoors, but I had a lighting accident and it burned up all my pepper plants. So I had all these empty pots, but we replaced the light with a more sensible one and I decided I was going to start my peppers for this coming season super early because peppers just take so long to put on some biomass. So I emptied out all of these pots, the soil in them, into five-gallon buckets, mixed it up, and then added worm castings. My worm bin was filled with finished worm castings. So in every five-gallon bucket, I mixed in a whole tray of worm castings, let it sit for a while, really mixed it in well, and then I used that material to refill new pots. Um, unless you're growing disease-prone plants or plants that had disease, um, the potting soil in there, the peat moss, perlite, vermiculite mix, that's not going to go bad. Um, you need to add some nutrition. So I would say mix up the soil from all your pots, um, mix in some compost, just eyeball it, whatever you think is right, and then refill the pots. Okay. All right, that Jan? Just really simple. Mike, thank you so much for your help today. I really appreciate it. I really enjoy your show. We really enjoy being on in Oklahoma City. They are some of the nicest people when I visited uh, down there, and I hope I'll be back again soon. I hope so, too. Thanks again, Mike. My pleasure. Bye-bye. All right, and now we have a very special treat just for our podcast and radio listeners. You may remember when we had musician Tim Cheney on the show a couple of months ago. He had written a kind of a classic folk song about the dreaded lanternfly. Well, now we have a full produced version of that song, a professional studio version uh, that Tim kindly sent us, Tim Cheney of the Edge Hill Rounders. Here he is with the fully produced Lanternfly song. Well, they saw it first in Southeast PA and it's spreading further every day. It's doing our crops and trees a lot of harm. It's an insect species that's not native, reproducing at a very high rate of speed. And folks, that's cause for some alarm. Now, once you dig what I have dug, you'll be hit to this invasive bug. And friend, you'll want to help to stop it spread. And when you see that little critter gonna take a swing like a home run hitter and smash that spotted lantern fly dead. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a fly swatter, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. In the fall, find the eggs on a wall tree trunk and scrape them off into an alcohol dunk, and surely that will cause them to expire. When the nymphs hatch from the eggs in spring, wrap your trees with a sticky tape ring, but save the birds by covering with chicken wire. Now the tree of heaven is their preferred host, yeah, that's the tree it likes the most. So if you got one in your yard, chop it down. 
Don't transport firewood, brush or debris, cause they'll hide in there and you'll never see them. Hitch a ride with you to the very next town. Die, 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 spotted lanternfly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lanternfly. When you see me coming, you'll know your end is nigh. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. So die, 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 spotted lantern fly. Yeah. When you see me coming, you'll know you the know reason why. I got a flash water, I'm gonna chase you all the way back to Asia. Die, 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 spotted lantern fly. So die, 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 spotted lantern fly. All right, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will once again appear at the Allentown Public Library to deliver an all-new information-filled lecture on successful tomato growing and answer all of your garden questions, or at least the easy ones. That'll be on Monday, April 27th at 7 p.m. But don't go jotting that down in your daytimer just yet because we'll be right back with the secrets of successful mulching and more of your successful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we'll talk about whole leaves preventing winter weeds and why some straw does not belong anywhere near your garden. In the meantime, though, lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Sarah, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Sarah. How you doing? Thanks. I'm wonderful. And you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Uh, where are you? I'm in Spokane, Washington. Oh, you know, we're doing this book giveaway where people send us postcards and we pick one out every week and send them a free book. I have come to the conclusion that people who live in Washington state have the nicest handwriting of anyone oh. in America. You know, some of this stuff is hard to read, 
But, you know, everything from Washington is like printed calligraphy. It's amazing. That's awesome. I'm glad. Yeah, me too. So uh, what can we do you for? Well, I, um, the area I live in is very sandy, um, and I have a backyard kind of, um, I have a, a six by eight, or 16, excuse me, by eight foot um, garden, mm-hmm. and um, what we did is we put about four bales of peat moss in, and then I have several chickens that I use their litter as the compost, okay. and that. Why did you mix peat moss into your sandy soil? I read somewhere trying to um, make it not so, like, so it'll keep the water. I read somewhere that aliens created Donald Trump's hair. Well, actually, that part is true. But you can't, no, it's not going to cut down on your water. And it has made your garden um, acidic because, um, well, Spokane is actually a little dry, right? Even though you're in Washington State? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty dry. Okay. Um, what you should have done and still have plenty of time to still do is mix compost in with your sandy soil. That way you create the perfect growing medium. It's still going to drain exceptionally well, but it's also going to hold moisture and um, uh, provide all the nutrients your plant should need. Now Now your garden is eight feet wide. So, Eight feet by, um, yeah, by 16. So it's not yeah. a raised bed. It's flat earth. No. Okay. Correct. And as you move forward in the future, you may want to take that space and frame it out um, to make like a four-foot wide raised bed, then two feet, and then a skinny bed um, that's two feet wide. Because you always okay. you always want to have a two-foot walking lane uh, down the center of the beds. But if you frame it out, and make it four feet or less wide, then you're never gonna step on that soil. Once you get that soil in good shape, you don't wanna compact it. So okay, think about okay. that going forward. But the answer to sandy soil is compost. Um, be, okay. As you move forward, you may wanna actually do a pH test. You said you used a lot of bales, the big bales? Um, I, I just know the standard style at, at a big box store. Yeah. Well, they tend to have only the large ones. Uh, independent okay. garden centers have these little cute ones that are actually much easier to use. And you should okay. be you should be patronizing your local garden center. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but you you could have made your soil more acidic than it wants to be. So do a P, okay. do a pH test. You want it to be six point five to seven. If it's, yeah, okay. if it's down way below 6.5, you're going to have to adjust it back up with wood ash, which I'm guessing should be abundant in your area. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just um, uh, ask somebody, you know, if you get a soil test done, they'll tell you how much uh, lime they want you to add. Instead, use 30% more wood ash. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so uh, what was your actual question, though? <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Um, so my question is, with all that, um, in our area, we also have a high population of centipedes and pill bugs. Okay. And what I, um, I noticed my first year, if anything was on the ground, I had about a million mm-hmm. um, babies just sitting there. And so um, get everything off the ground um, and trying to keep that up. Well, I just can't seem to keep them out of my garden, right? Um, and I'm not sure if there's something else I can do. Um, and none of the research, I, I haven't figured anything out. Um, and then on the other hand, my 
six-year-old, I cannot keep her out of the garden right. to stop eating my vegetables. Right. That's so good. it needs to be healthy um, and hey, safe for hey, her. You because, think, wait you a know, minute. What do you think? You're calling your pal the pesticide? Come on. Well, this is no, a, This is an organic gardening show, girl. All right. Let me, I, let me interrupt you right now because I want to okay. tell you that garden centipedes, not house centipedes, they're different species of the same genus. Uh, but okay. garden centipedes are 100% helpful. They will never hurt your plants. They will never hurt your daughter. They are okay. relentless carnivores of garden pests. Okay. So they're out there eating your bad bugs. Now, okay. pill bugs and sow bugs, roly polies, whatever you want to call them, they generally only eat, uh, for lack of a better word, dead plant material. They churn okay. up organic matter, like fallen leaves at the surface of the soil, okay. and generally do not harm plants. However, early in the season, if the garden is soaking wet, they can often nibble into transplants if there isn't anything else for them to eat. So number okay. one, and when you put your young starts out, that's really a time to water judiciously. Only water in the morning and don't overwater. Overwatering kills more plants than any other human activity. So even okay. though, <clears throat> and don't forget, even though you think your young transplants need a lot of water to survive, they're little. They can't take up much water. So back off on that. Then you want to go to an independent garden center and get a bag of DE, diatomaceous earth. This is a naturally occurring material um, it's actually prehistoric. It's the leftover bodies of diatoms that were in the water um, back when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth. And now there's huge mountains of these kind of skeletal remains, and they're ground into a fine powder that will look like a flower to us. Put a ring of diatomaceous earth around all your little transplants. On a microscopic level, it's incredibly sharp and it rips apart soft-bodied pests like your roly-polies and any slugs that may come by. You're also welcome, you know, if there's a whole bunch of them. Did you say you had chickens? I do have chickens, yes. Well, and obviously you can't put the chickens in the garden when you got young plants out there. But, you know, right. if, if you can get the right size hoe and hoe a bunch of roly-polies into a bucket, I think you can feed them to the chickens. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then you haven't just eliminated the problem. You've gotten even. And yes. um, I'm from Philadelphia, so I encourage you to taunt the roly-polies as you're taking them in the bucket to the chickens. Hey, you picked the wrong garden, didn't you? You know, sometimes <laughs> bad things happen. It's, it's a tragedy when bad things happen, but that's life. Here, chicky, chicky. <laughs> That sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. My pleasure. Good luck this season. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. 833-727-9588. Jim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I am just ducky today, Jim. Thank you for asking. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thanks. And where is Jim very good? I'm in Smithport, Pennsylvania. Do where you know is where that is? No. Oh, okay. It's uh, about 20 miles southeast of Bradford, uh, about 100 miles northwest of um, State College. 
Oh, 100 miles north. So you don't actually live in nowhere, but you can see it from where you are. <laughs> You're right, right. I'm in a very remote area. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's uh that's unusual. All right. I'm 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 sending my astral self to your geography. What can we do you for? Well, uh I've got a couple of different questions. Um I I've been gardening for most of my life. Mm -hmm. And um uh occasionally what I'll do is I'll get a um uh, one of the agricultural extension um soil tests. Right. And um I was wondering what you think of those, uh, because I use them as kind of a numerical guide. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I, I try to, to uh, garden organically, right. and um, as a result, you know, they're looking more at kind of a commercial production in a sense. Absolutely. It, so here's the story. Okay. Um, the individual land-grant universities that are the central portion of every state's extension system were originally funded by fertilizer companies. Ah, So okay. the, these colleges were built on the concept of the agricultural extension agents giving farmers, and much later in the game, home gardeners advice. And, of course, there was this inherent pressure to prescribe a lot of chemical fertilizers. Now, the interesting thing that I've noticed as I travel around the country, no two extension services are alike. Some ah. of them, unfortunately, like Penn State, are still using recommendations from the 50 of, of stuff like 30-30-30, which is just toxic to our groundwater, to amphibians, to the plants themselves. Some extension services are incredibly hip and will give you the organic advice first. So technically, if you specifically request organic recommendations, they're supposed to give them to you. As far as I'm concerned, from what I've seen in Pennsylvania, you can trust the pH. They'll tell you if your soil is acidic or alkaline more reliably than any home test you can do. Mm -hmm. The other things you got to take with a grain of salt. Hopefully, they're not going to recommend um, nitrogen levels because nitrogen is ephemeral. It changes from day to day. And the phosphorus and potassium, you know, take what they say with a grain of salt, but if it appears that you're really low, then just seek out organic fertilizers with those numbers. You know the deal with the numbers, NPK, on every bag or bottle of fertilizers, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. So if they want you to use like a 20 in, um, in phosphorus, Find a nice balanced organic fertilizer that's like a 484, something like that. The plants don't need those explosive chemicals. Okay, mm -hmm. what's question number two? Okay, good. Well, actually, you've led right into it. I'm looking for um, a good organic source of uh, potash. Okay, but, uh, phosphorus. Well, phosphorus, uh, I, I use bone meal for that, mm -hmm. and, and I guess maybe what I should say is potassium. Potassium. Um, again, you know, now, now you're taking me back to my days as editor of Organic Gardening, and we did a fabulous article on soil tests and replacements. And I tell you, I mean, I simply use compost. I have some liquid organic fertilizers at home that I use on my starts as I'm growing my baby tomato and pepper plants. 
but I've not used any actual amendments in the garden in 20, 25 years. So I can't remember if the answer to your question is green sand or something like that. But I would tell you, if you just go to, uh, go to your search engine, organic sources of potassium, you'll be given a list of recommendations, which is going to be better than my faulty memory. But again, if you're just looking at a product and you need to add potassium, that's the third number. That's the number you want to be large on that product. But no organic product will have a number um, in double digits. It will all be single digits. Okay. Okay, good. And um, I was going to ask you if, uh, if you think that bone meal is a good organic source for phosphates. Uh, yeah, rock phosphate is better, however. Rock, okay. Rock okay, phosphate good. is a mined mineral, and it actually uh, makes me recant what I just said about high numbers. Uh, rock phosphate may have a very high phosphorus number on the label, but it is released into the soil very slowly. And the nice thing about rock phosphate is you would apply it now, mm. so that as soon as the soil starts to warm up, the naturally occurring microbes and other life in the soil can help that break down into material that's readily absorbed by the plants. But once you apply rock phosphate to your garden, you don't have to do it again for three years. It's kind of like the ultimate slow-release fertilizer. Okay, great. And I think you've already um, answered my third question, which was going to be... That was your third question. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> all right, what's number four? Okay, uh, a good book uh, for organic sources of soil nutrients or, or an article. Now, you've, you've already answered that in a sense because you, you mentioned the Internet. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, one of my books that's out of print is called Mike McGrath's Book of Compost. It's behind me somewhere here in the kitchen. And I guess my guys will put it up on the air as we talk about it. Yeah, I'm blocking it there. It was published by Sterling um, with a $10 price tag. Um, it went out of print because Sterling stopped publishing gardening books, and I'm negotiating for another publisher now. But if you go online to Amazon or Abe or other people who also sell used books, you can snag a copy. It might be expensive to get a nice one. But if you don't care if it's an ex-library copy or something like that, you should be able to get it for a reasonable price. And that's where I talk about all these different nutrients. And it's also why I'm anxious to get that book back into print. Would you mention the, would you give me the title once more, please? Mike McGrath's mm -hmm. bing, 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 right, Book right. of Compost. Book of Compost, okay. Published by Sterling. Sterling, okay. Okay, and yep. you'll, it'll come right up. Okay, good. All right, good luck, sir. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And good luck in your, what, what's your growing season, 40 days? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we get about, um, I'm up on top of uh, the highest mountain in McKean County, not at the summit, but uh, it's about 110 days, I'd say. Oh, okay, good luck then. Yeah. Tough sledding. All right, uh, sir, good luck thanks. to you this season. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the Reston Town Center in Reston, Virginia on Sunday, May 3rd. Then I'm going to hop like a bunny back to Old Virginia to appear the following weekend at the Garden Fair at the State Arboretum of Virginia, which is just outside of Winchester on May 9th and 10th. 
But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to mulch your beds and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at the Lehigh Valley Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. Just a little bit, we'll be getting to the question of the week about proper and improper mulching, just in time for you to avoid some mistakes this growing season. In the meantime, however, more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Joanne, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking, Joanne. How are you? I'm doing so good. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I've been talking to everybody about it all week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll take care of your excitement real fast. Uh, (laughs) uh, Where are you, Joe? I'm in Longwood, Florida. Do you know where that is? No. So I'm about 17 miles north of downtown Orlando. Okay. Right right in central Florida. Okay. Now, do you go to the world of Disney, or do you avoid it like the plague? Oh, yeah. We, we go a lot. I have three young kids, and we, we actually have annual passes. Oh, that must be nice. A guy I worked with at Rodale, um, we were very close to Dorney Park. And he would buy uh, a year-long pass, and on the way home from work, he would ride one roller coaster every day. <laughs> and That's he, the life. He did, yeah, he just loved it. All right. Well, what can we do you for? So, Mike, I live in a nice neighborhood. We have larger lots. I actually have a three-and-a-half-acre lot, mm-hmm. but the majority of it is swampy wetland that feeds oh. into a local state park. Um so it's really natural and beautiful, and my yard looks out to the woods, which means we have deer and bear and all sorts of that. Now, I was going to say, do you have gators? Not, yes, but not in our yard, luckily. Okay. The, the water's not deep enough. <laughs> okay. Yeah, what about um, boa constrictors? What, a, <laughs> what about wild boar? <laughs> now you're scaring me. <laughs> um, my next call will be to a fence company. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I just cleared out a landscaping bed. It's 40 feet by 5 feet, Mm -hmm. and it's on the other side of our pool, bordered by the screen for the pool. I just cleared it out. It was filled with weed and old mulch that the old owners had put in there. And I want to know if you have suggestions for what to plant, because in my head, I have dreams of planting like a row of lavender, but I've heard conflicting information on lavender in Florida, and... I also don't want to break the bank when I'm planting, mm-hmm. so I wanted to know your thoughts. Well, actually, um, you might have, um, even though you're in Florida, near Orlando, uh, your climate is, is fairly moderate. Obviously, it doesn't get that cold in the winter, um, but you don't have the blisteringly hot days they have down south. Yes? No? Um, it feels like we do, but it 
doesn't get quite as hot. Okay. We're zone 9B, so it, it gets pretty hot. So there are several different types of lavender. And one of the most difficult things is trying to decide which type you're looking at, so to speak. Uh, they, they go by scientific names, but those names are kind of convoluted and don't mean as much as they could. And then they go by what I would call place names. There's English lavender, which does best in cool, wet climates, of course. Uh, but one of the classic types is called Spanish lavender. And that's a heat lover from the Mediterranean. Um, I'm not quite sure how it would do with your humidity in the summertime, uh, but your, your basic climate might be great for it. So what I would do is I would go to a really good local garden center, not a big box store, and ask them what kind of lavender they can order or carry. And you know, you wouldn't be crazy to contact your local state extension office and ask them for a specific recommendation and a way to kind of make sure which type you're getting. Because, you know, a lot of times with lavender, you can't trust the signage. Okay. Now, uh, you're, but you're above the frost line, so you can't grow citrus, can you? No, we can, actually. Um, there's quite a bit of citrus around us, although it's dwindling as new homes are being built. Right. That's right. Disney World was an orange grove. Yes. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> So, you know, I don't know about you, but I would love to go out and pick my own lemons and oranges. Yeah, yeah, I would. I worry about um, deer mm -hmm. with with growing fruit. Well, I mean, uh, I don't think deer would bother citrus. Really? Okay. Yeah, that's that's not appealing. You know, especially if it's lemons, they're gonna they're gonna get a mouthful <laughs> of lemon juice and go. Well, this wasn't fun. Do you have a type of lemon tree that you'd recommend to look for? Well, uh, you know, the classic variety is the Meyer lemon, which most people think is only available a dwarf uh, to bring in in the East Coast, in the, the North, in the wintertime. But the Meyer lemon was originally a full-size tree, mm -hmm. and it's very hardy. Oh, that's good. But again, this is where your local state extension service, they're going to have recommended varieties for your part of Florida, not for Florida in general. They're going to zero in on where you are, and they're going to have the recommendations for the best trees. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure about deer and lavender, to be perfectly honest, so you might want to install some sort of fencing because you'll, you'd never want to spray deer repellent on your lavender. That would destroy the whole purpose of growing it. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I'm almost certain you can grow lavender very well. You just have to get the Mediterranean variety and not the um, uh, British variety. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I was so excited to talk to you today, and I really appreciate it. Good, and keep the guest room ready. We'll be coming down, like, in <laughs> January next year, okay? All right, well, you let me know. Yeah. You're always welcome. All right. I'll, I'll have some work for you, but. <laughs> <laughs> you can't afford me. All right. <laughs> 
All right, it's what I hope you've been waiting for. It's the question of the week, which we're calling For the Love of Leaves. Daniel in Arlington writes, I love your garden plot bits that air Saturdays on WTOP. And I just found your You Bet Your Garden podcast. So I'm listening and preparing for the upcoming season. Question, this fall I had some leaves blow into part of a garden bed. I see that a lot of my garden has some weeds growing, but the part that had wet leaves on it has none. So what are your thoughts on using whole versus shredded leaves as a winter cover? Okay, first allow me to explain Daniel's reference. Shortly after You Bet Your Garden began on public radio, I was recruited to be the garden editor for WTOP the commercial all-news radio station in Washington, D.C., where my one-minute bits continue to air all day on Saturday. You can enjoy the written versions of these gems at WTOP.com. Now, to directly answer Daniel's question, instead of weaseling around the topic like I normally do, fall leaves are the best garden mulch for winter, spring, summer, fall, and any interesting new seasons that climate change brings upon us. Yes, I do always say that shredded thy leaves must be, and that's 100% true for compost making and leaves left on a lawn or on other active garden plantings, as one of the, quote, jobs of whole leaves is to smother small plants on the forest floor to reduce competition for water and nutrients for the trees. In the wild, trees are bullies and whole leaves are their henchmen. But what about whole leaves on an empty garden bed that might otherwise support the growth of winter weeds, like henbit, dead nettle, and chickweed? Those whole leaves will smother those unwanted invaders, just like they do plants on the forest floor. And raking them off the beds in the spring, two weeks before planting time, to allow the soil to warm up, would work well at that single task. The downsides are possible mold issues on the undersides of the leaves, which don't forget are in direct contact with your soil, and their prevention of airflow into the soil, which is vitally important, although it's little discussed. The roots of plants and the billions and billions of organisms that constitute soil life need to receive oxygen and nitrogen from the air. Think of it the same way as airflow between plants. When you crowd plants together, bad things are going to happen. When you deny airflow to your soil, bad things are going to happen and many good things will be prevented. Now, I wouldn't worry too much about that single bed this season. Just rake the leaves off to let the soil warm up and plant away two weeks later. But don't remulch that bed with whole leaves. Shred them up to create a mulch that prevents weeds, retains soil moisture, and allows airflow and rainwater to reach the soil and creates the perfect habitat for earthworms to live under and improve your soil a little bit more every day. We move on to Sue in Brick, New Jersey. I hope that's not referring to the type of soil they have. Anyway. Sue writes, at the end of the season two years ago, I had some leftover straw and decided to mulch the garden with it for the winter. The following season, I was inundated with weeds. 
After listening to one of your shows, I realized that the straw had seed pods in it. Unfortunately, I took ill and wasn't physically able to get back out to the gardens, so the weeds just grow and grow until the end of the season. And that's where things stand right now. I'm so upset. What can I do to return my garden to its original state? I'm afraid of trying something only to find out that it caused more germination of the weeds. I don't know where to begin. Well, don't worry, Sue. You'll begin with one of my favorite tools, a handheld flame weeder that uses a camp stove-sized propane canister to ignite a flame at the business end of the device, a flame that you will use to torch the tops of the plants to ensure that any remaining seeds are destroyed. Now, it's possible, if you're lucky, that birds, mice, rats, and voles ate most of the seed your hay bales produced. It is also true, if you're unlucky, that much of the seed dropped to the ground where it might re-sprout. Now, the typical plants contained in the average hay bale would be grasses like timothy, fescue, rye, and bermuda, the despised plant known as orchard grass, and legumes like alfalfa and clover, the last two being excellent cover crops. But to gain the benefits of those leguminous plants, you'd have to till them back into the soil, which would make your garden an even weedier mess for many years to come. Now, I'm sorry about your physical setback. I'm nursing a bad back problem, so I know how frustrating it can be. Luckily, my partner and several friends, hi, Wineberry girl, just love to pull weeds. You should watch them go. At any rate, Sue, I want you to torch those seed heads and then, wearing gloves, pull your field of grasses up slowly by the roots from soaking wet soil and mulch your new plantings well with shredded leaves or pine straw, which is not seedy. And let this be a warning to all of yous out there. Don't trust signage out by the street. Inspect every bale of so-called straw. And if you see any seed heads, pass it by. Because that ain't straw, that's hay. Well, that sure was a firm look at the correct way to mulch your garden beds, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read this information over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to make hay while my sun don't shine if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time, but you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Always please include your location.
And don't say you're in the kitchen or anything like that, okay? You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, informative details about my upcoming events, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all on our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he accidentally touched the eye of Agamotto in a thrift shop in downtown Poughkeepsie and became the gardener supreme. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of beautiful pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Mini. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Running the camera today is Jeff Frederick. Doing something in the control room is Eric Warner. Zach the Tack Wisniewski, we, we're giving up his parking spot. I'm going to park there from now on. The computer of our beloved and beleaguered CEO Tim Fallon has been hacked once again. So be sure to get lots of those valuable weight loss gift cards while they are still available. In a prepared statement, Emperor Fallon insists he is not our executive producer, but he is assisting authorities with their inquiries. I'm garlic-growing Mike McGrath, and as soon as that ancestry test comes back with my actual heritage, and I discover that I am 99 and 44 percent not Italian, I'll jump on the paddy wagon in time to see you again next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Have you heard about the so-called study questioning the environmental safety of compost? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll peer-review this article and explain why compost is still the bee's knees. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.